Well, today we are beginning a brand new series called Get a Clue, and it's all about relationships. It's about relationships with friends, with parents, with kids, with co-workers, and we're going to try and figure out how to get a clue as to how God made marriage to work, and family to work, and friendships to work, and we're going to discover that one of the greatest skills we need to learn is how to be a detective. And that when we are a detective in discovering the needs of the people around us, our kids, our marriages, our co-workers, it allows us to dig into their lives in such a way to meet them where they are. But when our needs aren't met, or we didn't learn the skills of how to be a detective and understand our own emotions, our kids' emotions, or our spouse's emotions, we actually develop some characteristics to meet our needs in unhealthy ways. So I'd like you to meet some characters, five of them, that we're going to be studying for the next six weeks together. Each one of these characteristics is a way in which I interact sometimes in inappropriate ways in my marriage, inappropriate ways with friends or co-workers. And before you play any game, especially the game of Clue, you need to know the rules of the game. So today we're going to establish the rules of the game and figure out who are the characters on the board. Let's watch. So five characters. I remember... I was like seven, eight years old at my grandma Eltervogue's house sitting at her dining room table and somebody pulled out the game of Clue. I had never played the game of Clue before, but I first had to establish, what are you trying to do here? You're a detective. And as a detective, you need to figure out who the characters are. And I learned about people like Colonel Mustard and Scarlett Johansson. No, no, different Scarlett. Uh, anyway, I learned about the characters... And then learned about the weapons that were used. And then learned about the different rooms. And the goal of the detective was to determine the what, the where, and the how. In the same way in our series, Get a Clue, we're going to try and figure out in marriage, in relationships, what is going on, why it's going on, and where and how we can support one another. Now to do that, I want you to know this series is for everyone. If you have parents... This is for you. If you're married, this is for you. If you're single or single again, this series is going to be for you. If you have relationships at work, if you're trying to figure out how to better connect with your kids, or figure out why maybe you didn't connect as well with your parents growing up, this series is going to help give us all the clue as to those relationships. A combination of some biblical teaching on the subject and some of the really most up-to-date research on what's called attachment theory in psychology and how those two things come together. And I think as we go through the series, you're going to think about this on three levels. Level number one, you're going to think about your family of origin. What your mom or dad did do or didn't do. This isn't a beat your parents up kind of thing. This is going to be just discovering what you learned that was very healthy and some things that maybe weren't so healthy. The second thing you're going to learn is in your current marriage, or maybe it's a marriage that, that fell apart through divorce, what happened there? And what role did I play in causing that, that I want to fix or I want to grow in before I get into another relationship. And thirdly, you're going to think at the level of your current family if you have kids. Am I doing unto my kids what was done unto me, and how can I learn how to love better as well? This book that I based some of the series on is called How We Love. This book was handed to me by a good friend about nine months ago. He said, Chad, this book is really changing my life. I said, how so? He said, I'm realizing that in my career, I am really, really good at compartmentalizing my emotions. It's made me a very good manager. 
This made me just on the rocket ship in my career. But after having been married 30 years, I realized the same things that have helped me professionally have hurt me personally. That there's ways that my wife and my kids and my grandkids need me to connect that I seem unable to connect. And this book is helping me as somebody who doesn't like psychobabble and doesn't think anyone needs therapy and thinks we should get away from all that nonsense to really connect and know myself. I've become a detective to myself through what I've learned and I'm becoming a better detective and knowing how to meet my wife where she needs and to even meet my employees in more emotional ways that I hadn't before. In the book, it tells us the, the account of the two authors, Milana Kay. They are Christian psychologists and for 15 years of marriage, they felt they were stuck. You ever felt stuck in your marriage? Like there's some good stuff going on, but there's certain patterns that keep repeating themselves. I say this, and he does that, and then I say this. Up, oh, it's the same thing over and over and over again. And what they discovered is some of those patterns that they were unable to untangle themselves from trace back to how they had learned how to love as a child, and they had never really untangled themselves from that pattern of love, and it was causing conflict in their marriage. And they began to discover, through the research, a question they could ask audiences, which they ask all over the world today, and the question is this. Can you think of one example of when your parents helped you during a time of high emotion, anger, grief, or sadness, explore those emotions, process those emotions, give voice to those emotions, and bring relief to those emotions. Can you think of a time that you were comforted in some strong emotion in your childhood? As they travel the country, they said everybody starts off by saying, well, I'm sure I can come up with lots of examples. Well, name one. And when trying to actually find one example that 70 to 80% of the audiences they speak to can't come up with one example of where their parents helped them learn how to know what they were feeling, process that, and bring it to resolution. Now, at one conference they were at, a man stood up, he says, I got a great example. I remember one time I was in eighth grade, maybe it was eight years old, eighth grade, can't remember which. And a new kid moved into town, and that new kid was a better baseball player than he was, and he'd been the first base player uh, for the team, and he got replaced by this guy sitting on the bench. He came home that day, and his mom says, hey, how, how, was, how was practice today? Oh, it was terrible. Why? Well, John just moved into town, and John took my spot at first base. Trish's mom said, oh, that man's got to be really hard. But just realize it's just a game. I'm sure John's a nice kid. And don't make a big deal about it. And there's a lot of assurance there. There was a lot of uh, meeting of needs there. But actually, see how you shortchanged the process? Where that child didn't get, actually get to deal with, what are all the emotions that went on there? Some jealousy? Maybe. Some envy? Some grief? Man, this was my spot. This, I was known as the first bass player. That often in our need to make our kids happy, or to tell them, boys don't cry, I'll give you something to cry about, 
there's ways we shortchange the process of helping our kids, helping develop the skills of knowing how to really listen to another person, how to help somebody explore and to help ourselves explore the emotions to bring to resolution. We shortchange the process too quickly. So here's their premise, sort of in, in my repackaging of it with a whole bunch of new material that uh, we're going to be exploring in the life of Isaac. Many of us don't know how to show love well because we weren't shown love well. Now, that doesn't mean our parents were bad. In some areas, you go, man, my parents did great here, did great here, did great here. But in some ways, they also didn't know how to show love well because their parents didn't necessarily know how to show love well. And so we can take all the good things that happened in our previous generations and say, hey, I want to pass that forward. But we can also discover the gaps, the handicaps, the, the weak spots, the wounds, the, the outages from the past and say, I want to do better. I want to be able to connect with my kids and my spouse even better than my parents did with, with themselves or my grandparents did with themselves. But to do that, we're going to have to discover what we learned in our family of origin and how that is still playing out in our marriage today. So I'm going to give you three rules. Three rules to the game to set the stage. And the first rule is this. We often don't become detectives until we come across a murder. Now, isn't that true? We don't become detectives until we stumble across a murder. See, what happens is that most people are saying, Oh, my goodness, already I've turned you out, Chad. This is a bunch of psychobabble nonsense. You know, maybe my wife needs to talk about this kind of stuff, but I certainly don't. You know, be a man for crying out loud. Meanwhile, your wife's been saying, I need you to learn how to listen to me. I don't feel like we're connecting. I don't feel like you're connecting. Please, please listen for a little bit longer. And so often, until we come across a murder, man, I'm not able to manage the people in my company because I don't know how to connect with what they need. We come across a murder where we're, we, we hit a lid professionally. We say, I need to figure out some skills I don't have. We blow up a marriage and we blame them. And then we blow up the second marriage and there's some similar patterns. And we stumble across a, a murder, a painful moment that's strong enough that we're like, I might need to get some new tools. I might need to become a detective for myself, go through some therapy. What, why do I do what I do? I might need to become a better detective because I got a prodigal son and, and the murder is our relationship seems like it's been murdered. And I'm not connecting with my son or daughter the way I wanted to. And so I need to become a detective and figure out what's keeping me from being the kind of dad I want to be, the kind of mom I want to be. Or maybe it's a, a time in your marriage, you're heading into a winter in your marriage, and like, no, things just aren't connecting the way they, they should, or that I wanted them to. And so you stumble across a murder, and you suddenly go, well, okay, well, maybe it's not psychobabble, maybe all counselors aren't bad, maybe there's some new skills, because I've been using these same old skills, and they don't work really well, but I use them all the time. So I want to give you some tools in this series that I think be very helpful. And this is the first one. In the study and the research on attachment theory, they find that this is sort of the gold standard of what the human body, what the human psyche was designed to go through in parenting. They call it the secure love style. That a child has feelings. And when that child has feelings, those child has needs. And in a family of origin, God designed family, even from the very beginning. A child cries, he has needs for milk. And the mother and the father, but the mother specifically, pulls that child close to them. There's a closeness when you give out your needs. There's a closeness that is sought after when you're crying for something you need. 
And even in the process, this position that God designed was designed to provide for needs and also to make eye contact. There's an emotional connection that, that you were to reach out to other people with your needs to have those needs met. And so what happens is we go through the cycle. Child has feelings. Those needs are recognized, welcomed, and seen. Child's expression that a child is given full emotional spectrum. A child learns to feel and deal with his emotions. We're going to learn how to appropriately deal with them. But all of them need to come out. Let's let's feel what you're feeling. Feel and deal. The grief, the betrayal, the anger, the jealousy. We help our children become detectives for themselves. What are you feeling and why? And in that environment where we help get those emotions out, that now the child can begin to identify what I'm feeling, why I'm feeling it. It becomes a very healthy process to know how to deal with what you're dealing with, which leads to parental response. A parent is able to contain the child's needs and give appropriately, offers comfort when child is distressed. Here's appropriate ways to disagree besides throwing a temper. Let's talk about why you're angry. Let's talk about what you don't like. Here's appropriate ways to disagree. Here's inappropriate ways to disagree. We teach them boundaries. And we teach them proper ways of getting their needs met, proper ways of expressing those needs. Which moves then to reaction. The child then, having been heard, having been connected with, having felt listened to, and, and, and a parent who helped them discover who they were and what they were feeling, the child feels loved, seen, important, safe, whole, and this brings relief, trust, and respect. And their reaction is, I feel secure. My, my, my family is a place that I can be myself, that I can discover who I am, that I can learn how to deal with what I'm going through. Now, in some areas, I bet you look at that process and you say, wow, my parents did that really well in this one area. It might be a sliver. It might be a big piece of the pie chart. There's going to be other areas you're like, no, no. I can see how I might have wanted that. I can see how that might have been healthy. But somewhere at stage two and three, if we zoom in on that with a magnifying glass, something happened. Your needs were minimized. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You know, it's just a game. Okay, well, but I don't feel fine. Oh, you know that boy at school who's bullying you? I'm sure he's a nice kid. No, he might be a jerk. Right? Not all kids are nice. And even whether he's a nice kid or not a nice kid, I'm still dealing with the emotion of I feel angry, I feel bullied, I feel threatened. And now I don't know what to do with those emotions because you shortcut me to I'm supposed to be happy. And so then I learn a style of either avoiding those feelings or I start saying, you know what, I just lower my expectations controlling circumstances so that not so much stuff gets into me or becoming a victim, as we'll get to in a second. So what happens when those needs aren't met? And and I've been teaching this principle for 14 years because this tool has so helped my wife and I in our marriage. It's called the emotional cup. When, When you get the shortcut between two and three, there's a very small part of your brain that actually holds your emotions. It's very small. And so as emotional beings, our kids are emotional beings, our coworkers are emotional beings, we're emotional beings, there's a very small part of the brain that holds our emotions. And when we don't go through that secure love-connecting cycle in a conversation with our spouse, in, in an interaction with our parents, interaction with our kids, we feel the need of disrespect. We feel the need for appreciation gone. We feel the need for comfort didn't happen there. We feel the need for attention didn't occur there. We feel the need for blessing didn't occur. And here's what happens in our heart. 
And I have sat down with, I can't tell you how many couples over the years and walked them through this process. I had a couple in my office a few months ago. And I said, here's what might be going on in your heart. You say, hey, I want to tell you about my day. And the other person says, I'm really too busy. You know, can we do it later? And then they don't circle back around later. And what gets deposited into your heart is hurt, loss. You wanted to connect in that moment of comfort. Or you wanted to connect because last night you went to initiate affection and your wife or your husband pushed away and said, not tonight. Now you feel anger, but under your anger is actually a hurt or loss. You actually had a need. You wanted to connect emotionally. And that hurt and loss, most of my experience, most women can identify with that more quickly than men who jump to level two, which is anger and bitterness. Now, under your anger and bitterness is actually hurt and loss that you need to explore. Because you don't know how to give voice to that, and you never learned how to give voice to that, you only have one emotion you give voice to, or maybe two, lust and, uh, or if you're married, sex and, uh, and anger. Those are the two that most men are really good at. You know, those are the two emotions we can identify in a healthy way, or maybe not so healthy. Then what happens is next time you go to have a conversation where you're hoping that your wife will respect your opinion or your husband will appreciate your efforts or that you really wanted comfort, something to meet you where you were, you actually are now filled with fear and anxiety. Why? Same thing always happens. He doesn't listen. She doesn't respond. And now that little part in the back of your brain that holds your emotions is now filled with hurt, loss, anger, bitterness, and now fear. And now that begins to build up, which leads to guilt, because at some point I end up saying something I shouldn't say to my kids, doing something I shouldn't have done to my coworkers, saying something in a marriage conversation I shouldn't have had, and now I feel guilty about it because I just did to her what I didn't want her to do to me. And that then leads to guilt and bad behaviors. I start acting out. And all the positive emotions get squeezed out of me, and as they get squeezed out of me, what happens next? i got to find a way to deal with all this emotion because I never learned a healthy way to deal with it. So for most of us, we learn how to medicate it. I'm going to control people and circumstances, the two things you can't control, and I'm going to keep people from dumping more stuff into my bucket, and I'm going to become a controller. Others of us become an avoider. I'm just going to avoid any kind of emotional connection because I at least will keep more stuff from getting into this thing. I at least don't want to lose my temper. Sometimes we go, I don't know what to deal with all this sadness in me. Or all this anger in me. I'm just going to medicate it. And, and the list of medications is numerous, right? Medicate with alcohol. That's what's going on inside of me, but let me just drink for a while and maybe I won't feel it anymore. I'm going to go spend some money again. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's too many movies. Here's how you know something has moved from a thing to a medication. When you use that thing to keep from feeling a feeling you don't want to feel. It's the difference between eating ice cream and eating my feelings away. It's the difference between going to a movie because I like movies and I just want to escape and you find yourself starting to make that a pattern in your life. You say, because I don't know how to deal with the emotions in me, I'm either going to medicate it or I'm going to control it. I've actually been amazed the last couple of years. I've got a real high metabolism, but I've gained a lot of weight the last couple of years and I've been amazed as I have wrestled with the grief, natural transition of my daughter going to college, my son going to college, the natural challenges and fears related to my wife and I, you know, trying to figure out how to, how to provide for my, my son Quinn, and, and the grief. Sometimes he's as happy as can be. I'm grieving for him. I'm grieving for what he's never going to do. I'm grieving for what he's never going to experience. 
And in those moments where I find myself getting teary-eyed or find myself wanting to become a detective to explore those feelings, I'm like, you know, I, I think it's time for another movie. Or I find myself just grabbing some more nachos and salsa. And I can eat a lot of nachos and salsa. It's amazing the inappropriate ways that I can use food, though you wouldn't know it from my metabolism, to not know how to deal with or give myself the, the room to deal with some of those emotions that God wants to work in me. God wants to grieve with those who grieve and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So rule number one is most of us have not done this work. We didn't grow up in an experience that helped us do this work. And so we have two people in marriage, two, five people in, a, in a, a, a co-working situation, three people who are kids with a dad, and all of us have an emotional cup that's full and nobody knows how to just explore it, nobody knows how to look into it, and nobody knows how to deal with it. And yet God offers a way. Which brings us to our second rule. The second rule of the game we need to understand is that God designed you and I to be needy. Now, we don't like the idea of being needy because we're self-sufficient people. But you see it in kids and grandkids all the time. You know, your kid skins his knee. And what's, what is the first thing you do? Oh, mom, can you give me a kiss, right? He needs or she needs comfort. You draw your first drawing. You bring it to your dad. Dad, 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 dad look at this. You know, you're really screwed up on the edges. You, know, you really should color it out of the lines that place. What did you want? You wanted attention. You wanted somebody to celebrate with you in that moment. Now, here's the question. It's easy to see in kids how needy they are. Do you think you grew out of your need for comfort? Did you grow out of your need to be appreciated? Oh, you're real sophisticated. I'm real sophisticated. We got nicer cars and we got nicer houses and we got nicer clothes. But do you think you grew out of your need for respect? Do you act like you've grown out of your need for respect and love and appreciation? We act like it, but what's really in the center of all the conflict in our relationships is we're needy. And we don't know how to express those needs in a healthy way. We don't know how to deal with the emotions when those needs aren't met in a healthy way. So one of the tools I want you to work with me today is I put in your program is a list of those rooms. So if you think of the clue game as different rooms, God designed human beings with lots of needs. And there's verses to go with this. But I want you to try and identify as I read this, what do you think are your top three needs? And if you're married, you can put what you think your spouse's top three are. And after the service today, you can see if you got them right. People rarely do, which is actually the beginning of you getting a clue. It was the beginning for me 15 years ago. Acceptance. One of your needs would be expressed as, I need, I need my spouse, my parents, my friends, to in, my boss to intentionally, empathetically give me a warm reception when I'm on my worst behavior. Anybody can accept you when you do the right thing. When I'm having a bad day, when I've said the wrong thing, I need you to be able to communicate in a warm way. I'm unconditionally accepted. It's one of my wife's. I wish it wasn't one of my wife's. Because it means that when she is the most stressed, the most angry, has reacted the poorest, that's the time I least want to give her unconditional love. That's the least time that I am prepared to offer what she needs. And yet I've learned over the years that that's the time I can most become a detective of who she is to meet her where she's at. Two, affection. Now this certainly includes sex, but it's far beyond that. It's communicating care and closeness to me through physical touch and loving words. 
I know for my wife, we'll be driving in the car, and I'll turn to her, and I'll say, honey, I need you to rub my arm. And she's like, oh, really? Because that doesn't do anything for her, me rubbing her arm. But there's something about you know, being in the car, my wife just sort of you know, scratching my arm, it, makes, it connects to me, because it's one of my primary needs. And I'll just say, oh, thank you for that. I, I feel closer to you when you do that. And, and, and you know, I say, well, that's kind of silly. Well, maybe for you. That's one way we communicate needs. Three, appreciation. Communicating personal gratification with words and feelings about what I have done. Some of us come home and we rattle off a list of everything we've done that day. At home, at work, I took the kids, took the kids here. And the other person thinks you're giving a report. Mmm. Mmm. Good job. They're not giving a report. They're actually trying to look for appreciation. Did you see everything that I did? So sometimes my wife and I, before the daily report, will say... Let me tell you what I'm looking for right now. I really am looking for some appreciation. I want to tell you what I did, but I'm really hoping that you can, that I can feel appreciated here. And then usually, how do we respond to that? Well, I'll love to tell you everything I did. And we don't meet their needs, and then we don't meet her needs. What if we learned how to express needs and say, I want to try and meet your need as you express it in a healthy way, and I want to do the same thing for me. Approval. Hearing words of commendation about who I am and the importance of our relationship. Now, what does that mean? I don't want to just be loved for what I do around here. I don't want to just feel like a paycheck. I don't want to just feel like a a homemaker. I don't want to just feel like a mother or a father. I don't want to just feel like I'm just a taxi driver around here. It's nice to hear, thanks for picking up the kids. That's nice. It's nice to hear, thanks for, for being a good provider. That is nice to hear. But the blessing is different from appreciation. It's, I love you for who you are, regardless of what you do. And there's a deep need called blessing we're going to look at in Jacob's life. A deep need God put in us for blessing. Comfort. To come alongside someone with word, feeling, and touch. To give consolation through tenderness and active listening. I just need you, my wife would say, it's my wife's uh, number two. I need you to enter my world. Now, I've gotten better at this. Let me tell you why I've been bad at this. In the past, I'm a pleaser. We'll get to that in a second. As a pleaser, I want my wife to be happy because when my wife's happy, I feel happy. And so what happens is many times when I ask her how's her day as the pleaser, the answer needs to be good. And she feels that, especially as an avoider that she is, she feels that you don't really care about how I'm really doing because when I tell you I had a bad day, you try and talk me out of it. What, don't you realize that there's people in China who are, don't get three meals a day? And as a pleaser, my need, my, my good news junkiness that I am, I, I'm, I'm always looking for, I need to feel good about me by you telling me you feel good about you. And when my wife is anxious, I feel anxious. And it keeps me from entering her world. And sometimes it comes across very self-righteous. And it doesn't just come across that way. It is self-righteous. It sounds like this. I really had a bad day. This happened with the kids and this happened with this. And here's what I'm thinking. Now, don't tell anybody because this is pretty embarrassing. While she's talking, I am thinking, you've got to be kidding. That's stressing you out? Let me tell you all, those, all the expectations I had. This is all going to my head. I'm not saying this out loud. Let me tell you all the things that I had going on, all the things I was querying today, and that's what you're stressed out about? Now, I'm clever enough to disguise all that and instead to say, hmm, well, you know what I would do? Which then says, if I was living your life, I wouldn't be stressed, and I would have fixed this thing a lot sooner than you would. 
All of which is so self-righteous and so patronizing. And if my wife's primary need is comfort, how comforting was I? And even if I'm a good enough actor to disguise my self-righteousness, she can pick up on it. And so I have learned over the years to get rid of my self-righteousness and to learn what my wife needs right now is for me to learn how to be an active listener. What does that mean? I am listening. I'm in the room. I'm going to teach you what it means to be an active listener by the end today and some more of the next couple weeks. Encouragement. Urging forward and positively persuading me toward a goal. Giving me courage to persevere and overcome. This might have been the child who said, Oh my goodness, when John took my spot, I just really, really am mad. And then his mom or dad asked questions. It's not that I'm mad. I guess it's that I wonder if I have a purpose or place anymore. What do you mean? I was always known as the first baseman. It's making me wonder if I really have the skills. Well, do you feel like, do you, feel like you need just encouragement? Like that, that, that we see something in you that, that's really there even though you're second-guessing yourself? I guess, yeah. See how you're, you're a detective. You're helping them explore their emotions. Encouragement is I believe in you and other people don't. I believe in you you don't even believe in yourself. I believe in you that despite this career change, despite this big loss, despite this divorce you went through, I still believe God has a plan for you. A dad still believes in you and cares for you. My wife and I have two kids in college, so we write a letter to them together once a month. Because we learned in parenting that the most critical last transition is age 18 to 21. And the most important thing your kids need to hear from you is that you believe in them. So we write a letter every month to one of my two kids for a whole page saying what we believe in them for. To give them encouragement. And it's interesting as we've been doing that, it reminded me that when I was in college, my mom and dad used to write a letter to me. <clears throat> once or twice a semester. And I'd forgotten about how meaningful that was to me and encouraging me. Respect. Value and regard highly, conveying worth and value through the words, tone, and nonverbals you use. You don't have to do what I, what I say. I'd like you to do what I say. But at least respect and hear where I'm coming from before you shoot the idea down. We can't do that. That's ridiculous. And the tone you use can communicate respect or disrespect. Security, confidence of harmony in relationships, free from harm. And lastly, support. My wife's third one. Come alongside and gently help carry a load. Partner with the daily responsibilities. Now, I would like you to try and guess, Mark, what you think your top three are, one, two, and three. So I'm going to put mine on here, because I know mine are affection, appreciation, and approval. And what you think your spouse, or if you're not married, the most significant relationship, somebody you work with, somebody you connect with, a relationship that you would like to work on. So my wife's is acceptance, comfort, and respect. Now, I'd like you to use this as a tool, and again, you can do this with your kids as well, and give you some bullseyes to get a clue, and then ask your spouse, what does it look like the few times I stumbled on this correctly? Well, the few times that I actually did respect you, what did I do? I want to try and make that the target. So these are these emotional rooms. Now, you can see what happens when these needs aren't met, what happens? Well, we're back to that emotional cup. So let's pick one, the first one. When you really wanted to feel acceptance, even when you're a, a bad day and you're saying the wrong thing and you really need just somebody to, to, to say, you know, it's okay. Maybe even a hand on the shoulder or a, a brace around you. Say, you know, it, it's all right. I know, you're having a bad day. When that didn't happen, what happened in your heart? You feel angry. No, you're not doing this right. But underneath that was loss or hurt. That's not what I needed. Then there was anger and bitterness. You never do it right. You never get it become a vacillator where you're like, you know, I got all these needs and you should just be able to figure it out because I learned from my family of origin that you shouldn't have to tell people what you need. They should just instinctively know. And if you don't know, then I married the wrong person. 
Here's what vacillators do. Fear and anxiety. And this is what happens in your heart. And so instead of using I language, I feel this because of what happened and I need comfort, I need respect, I need appreciation. We learned all kinds of bad habits, which usually all begin with you shouldn't have, you did, you didn't, you, 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 which just creates more and more bitterness and anger and frustration. So this is your first step in getting a clue. So when we don't learn how to express those needs in healthy ways, we get imprinted on certain ways in unhealthy ways. And so with that brings us to rule number three, which is that in order to begin the process of solving a case, you need to discover which character you are. And so psychologists have studied and found that there are five love styles, besides the secure connector, that sort of get us out of whack. And here's a couple of those. And I want to tell it to you through the story of Isaac. Isaac's a guy in the Bible. It was Abraham uh, and Sarah had a son named Isaac. You might remember him as the one who, got, who Abraham was going to sacrifice and God rescued. Isaac is a master avoider. So much so that when one of his sons steals the blessing from him and causes his other son to want to blow up and kill him, he has a chance to address the conflict with his son and he doesn't even mention it. Well, you know, just uh, go off to a foreign country and let's not talk about it. We'll discover more about this next week. He learned early on that you don't talk about emotional things. You don't cause conflict. Just avoid it so nobody gets mad. Avoid it so there's no conflict. Why did he become such an avoider? So much so that his wife, who's a controller, is lying and manipulated behind his back to have one son dressed up like the other son when he's, he's starting to lose his eyesight so he can steal a blessing from him. Why has his wife become such a controller? Well, because he's such an avoider. So they can't ever talk through disagreements in a healthy, respectful way, so she just manipulates behind the back to get the outcome she wanted. Now, why did he learn this? Well, we're going to find next week, try growing up with Abraham and Hagar and Sarah, the first sort of big Bible uh, polygamous marriage, where literally they are beating each other in their home. And he learned early on, you know what? I don't want to get kicked out of the house the way Ishmael did. I don't want to be beaten the way I saw my mom beat my stepmom. I think I'm just going to not cause any conflict, lower my expectations of what's needed, and just keep my mouth shut. Captain Controller, again, all these can be male or female, Rebecca learns to control and manipulate circumstances to get her needs met because her husband's always manipulating stuff, always avoiding stuff, and that causes all kinds of conflict between one avoider and one controller. Then we move to Esau. Now Esau is Professor Pleaser. He learned early on that the way you get loved by mom and dad is by performing well. When you bring home good hunt, when you perform well as a hunter and a gatherer, you will get loved. And you'll see that. It's a very specific verse in just a second. And there then comes a point in Esau's life that his pleasing doesn't work. For the first time, he learned how to meet his needs through pleasing. And for the first time, his pleasing didn't work. And now he just loses it. Decides, you know what, then I'm going to please myself a different way. And he ends up marrying people that his his parents told him not to marry. Then we move to, to Jacob, the vacillator. Now, the vacillator, most vacillators go through multiple marriages because vacillators have a fundamental belief that in their family of origin, their parents, they didn't get their needs met very well, but they they at least got it met enough that they knew that they could be met. So instead of suppressing them all like the avoider or controlling things like the controller, they learned that I, I do have needs and I do need them met, but they didn't learn how to express those needs. So they assumed that their spouse, their parents, their coworkers, their friends should intuitively know what they need. You ever play this game in your marriage? You should just know. 
and you find yourself picking fights, and you don't know why you're picking fights, except that that's a way you can get an emotional connection, especially if you're married to an avoider. In fact, you married an avoider because you thought they were stable, because you grew up in a very unstable relationship. And what you thought was stable was actually an avoider. And that's causing a lot of hostility in your marriage. Well, we see the same thing with Jacob. Jacob goes through four wives. He kept thinking, you know, I just, I just, if I could find the right person, they would intuitively know how to meet my needs. If I could just find my soulmate. So he goes through four women, Leah, Zilpha, Rachel, and Bilma. And still feels empty inside. Still feels this need for blessing that ultimately God will meet. And then last we have our general victim. Now general victims usually came from a very chaotic home that where they were victimized by either being neglected or just being chaotic. And so you learn that the way to get your needs met is by sort of being an Eeyore. Oh, I had a bad day. Now you may have had a bad day and that's okay. But you learn that the way to get your needs met is always by talking about what didn't happen. And when you talk about what didn't happen or what should have happened or whatever, you've learned that instead of being able to say, I need comfort, I need appreciation, I need respect, you learn that you're always, even if you had a good day, you're going to have a bad day because that's how you get needs met. And you found your whole identity, not just in being victimized in the past, which is very serious and very traumatic. It's not just a chapter in your life. It's become the identity of your life. And there's no better example of this than Leah. Leah is victimized by her father Laban. He actually marries her off to Jacob. When Jacob didn't want to marry her, he wanted to marry his sister. Imagine the trauma of you knowing that your father told you you had to go trick and marry who was going to be your brother-in-law who's now your husband. But what happens is that trauma so stays with her that when her circumstances are good, she's able to have babies. When uh, Rachel can't, she still feels like a victim. So whether her circumstances are up or down, you'll always see her acting out as the victim because she's never dealt with. She learned how to meet her needs by being a victim. So let me just give you two pieces. Again, we're going to develop all this next five weeks. So these patterns of how we meet our needs in unhealthy ways roll through the family. I'll give you two from Isaac and Abraham's life. Number one, favoritism. The way you get love is you've got to earn it. So you've got to be mom and dad's favorite. And that's certainly what happens So the boys grew up, and Esau, our pleaser, became a skillful hunter. He learned how to be skillful, how to please, how to get the approval of his parents by doing things well. A man of the field. Now, Jacob was a mild man. He learned how to please in a different way, which is why he became a vacillator. Dwelling in tents. And look at this phrase. And Isaac, his dad, Mr. Avoider, loved Esau because. Not unconditional love, not because he's my son, Not because he's God's gift from me. No, no, no. He loved him because he could eat of his game. Oh. I learned that the way I get my need for approval of appreciation met is I better work hard to please dad with my game. He learned from his parents, you love people because of what they do. Mom showed favoritism to Jacob. She loved Jacob more, and he learned that favoritism is how you get your needs met, which is why you trace Jacob, he gets his name changed to Israel, and with Israel, guess what he does with his 12 sons? He has a favorite named Joseph, who has a technicolor dream coat, I hear, (laughs) which represents his favoritism. He learned from his parents, favoritism is how it works, and I've got my favorite too, and it causes all kinds of conflict. As another pattern, 
that they learn. And that's the pattern of lying to get your needs met, playing games to get your needs met. So God turns to Isaac and says, Isaac, I want you to leave Egypt. I want you to trust me. And so Isaac does. And so he leaves Egypt and he settles down. He comes near Egypt and says, I want you to dwell in this land and I'm going to bless you. Right where you are, who you are, where you are. And the men of the place in Gera asked about his wife. That's a, that's a pretty good looking wife you got there. And he says, oh, no, 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 she's not my wife. She's my sister. For he was afraid to say she's my wife because they would kill me because they want to marry my wife. Look at the insecurity in that. Now, where would Isaac have learned to lie about his wife's status as sister in order to get his needs for security met? That's exactly what his dad did in Egypt, twice. God said, Abraham, follow me. Don't take your family with. He disobeys, takes a lot with. Goes to Egypt. First thing he does is lie. Oh, no, she's not my wife, Sarai. She's, uh, she's my sister. Which is where they pick up Hagar, which causes the whole conflict you see in the Middle East today between the two divisions of the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac. But see how he learned this pattern almost to the letter from what was shown to him by his parents. And yet, and here's what's so powerful in the middle of this. In the middle of Isaac being a liar, a voider, doing everything wrong, God appears to him and says, I want to bless you a hundredfold. While he's lying. Talk about unconditional love. While he's got like Mr. Dysfunctional Family. God says, I want to step into your family. And I want to work with you where you are, with what's wrong in your life. And it says, God blessed him with a hundredfold produce. This phrase had never been seen before or since. This phrase is picked up by Jesus in one of his parables. He says, if you will trust me for love, for unconditional love, if you'll trust me to learn how to do life, I will bless you 30, 60, or, and here's the phrase, a hundredfold. And God is now showing Isaac, you have learned your whole life, avoid to get your needs met by lowering your expectations. You've been a family about controlling and, and, and vacillating and pleasing and, and, and victimizing. I want to show you a new way to love. I'm going to give you a hundredfold blessing just because you're my son, not because you've done what's right. He's never experienced this kind of love before. And God is going to show you and I the same thing. We might be 10% avoider or 80% controller. I found from my upbringing, my parents did such a good job with that, that circle of the secure, I'd probably 75% secure. I'm pretty comfortable with all different emotions exploring. But I got a tw- at least 25% piece of pleaser in me that I am working through for like nine months. And I'm getting better. But I'm a recovering pleaser. And I'd like you, on the other side of the sheet I gave you, don't mark what your spouse is. Though I put a place for it if you want to talk about it with your spouse, I want you to think what you think you are. What is the issue you're bringing to the relationship? Whatever relationship you think is most important to you. Again, whether that's a friend, a colleague, your parents of origin, whether it's a spouse or your kids. What do you think is the dysfunction you picked up in meeting your needs? And there's a little bit deeper explanation beyond what I just said in each one of those. So I want you just to mark yourself for this, and if it becomes a tool for conversation for you and your spouse or for you and your kids or you and a friend, you can use that later. Many of us don't know how to show love well because we weren't shown love well, right? So here's what we're going to be learning for the next few weeks. How can we become a detective? Healthy people, healthy kids, healthy parents, healthy marriages, healthy bosses. 
can identify what they're feeling. I'm really, really disgusted right now. My wife went on vacation this week, and she, we were talking about a, a, a deep time of, of difficulty in our marriage. Uh, as she's learning how to not be an avoider, and I'm learning how to, it's okay to not always be happy. And I said, what were you feeling during that time? And she, she thought for a moment, and she's like, sadness. I went sadness. She said, I went panic. She said, anguish. Anguish. What are you feeling? And this is, by the way, when, you're, when your spouse says you, they don't feel like you're being heard, this is what they mean. Active listening isn't being in the room nodding. It is actually helping them go through that cycle they didn't go through before, which is you're becoming a detective. What are you feeling? That's the what. So it sounds like you're feeling betrayed. In fact, my friend who gave me this book, he said he sat down, he's learning how to do this better with a tool I'm going to give you next week. He said, I came home, had a bad day at work, and I turned to my wife, and I said, she said, what, what's going on? How are you feeling? She says, bad. I said, well, that's not good enough. He, she gave her this tool we're going to look at next week. And he looked at the look. He's not bad, it's betrayed. So you're feeling betrayed. That's the what. Why? Because of what this business partner did to me. And immediately, they're having an actual deeper connection in their conversation. And then where do you need support? What do you need right now? I think I just need some, some appreciation for what I do because I didn't get it today at work. I think I just need some respect because I'm feeling disrespected. Now, sometimes we can't identify these three things. But this is the goal of healthy relationships. When your kids come talk to you, the goal is not to get them to shut up so you can to move on. Now, that may not always be the right time to do it, but you're trying to, with your kids. What are you feeling? Why are you feeling it? And where do you need support from dad or mom right now? In fact, my friend who picked up this book, he said, you know what, when my grandsons were first born, I thought my, my son was a terrible dad. Because the kids would come and they'd be talking about something going on and he would say, well, let's feel and deal. And he would teach them how to feel what they're feeling and how to deal with it in appropriate ways. And I thought, my mom didn't do it with me and I turned out fine. I said, well, actually, that seems a lot healthier. I wonder how I might have not have these difficult conversations in my marriage now if I had learned that. And he says, I've learned so much respect for my son and I'm watching him parent and I'm actually grieving what I didn't have and I'm actually inspired by what I might have if I learned how to do this process together. So when your spouse or a kid comes in and says, I need you to listen right now, this is what it means to actively listen. It's actually active. I'm a detective right now. I'm trying to help you figure out what you're feeling, why you're feeling it, and where you need support. And that's why this first tool we're giving you can be helpful. What do you think you need right now? Use this list. I think I just need some encouragement right now. I think I just need some appreciation right now. See how vulnerable that is? Now, we don't like to be vulnerable because we learn you don't be vulnerable. You, know, you avoid vulnerability. Instead, you say, well, you shouldn't have talked like that. It's defensive. So become a detective. What? Why? And where do you need support? And like I said, I'd like you to take this list and take your top three and have that as a conversation point. What do you think your top three are and what does it look like to meet it? Honey, here's what I think my needs are. Ask your kids, what do you think your top three are and how could mom and dad meet that need? Begin that conversation today. And rather than checking the box for your kids, some of you are saying the whole time, thank goodness you're giving this message. Honey, wink, wink, elbow, elbow. I hope you're listening. I hope you're listening to when he talked about the controller. Honey, hope you're talking about the avoider. I'll go ahead and mark yours for you. (laughs) Don't pass a CD to your neighbor. Don't give it to your boss. Don't give it to your spouse who didn't show up. Start with you. God, I want you to help me learn how to love from you so I can begin to change the dance in our relationships as I learn how to love the way you love. And I'm going to start with the man in the mirror. And I'm going to start with the woman in the mirror. 
And God, begin to change me and heal me of the handicaps I have so I can be the kind of person you want me to be and love the kind of way you want me to love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way you loved Isaac in the midst of such difficulty. I thank you for the way that you you came into his life and worked with him in the midst of his hurt and pain in the midst of his family. And all those things, Father, we ask that you would teach us how we can begin that process as well. In Jesus' name, amen.